0: Monday the 12th of October 2015. A school hall somewhere in London. And a countdown from 60 which was rapidly approaching the top 10. We were yet to feature which means we're already doing better than last year so my anxiety is under control to a degree. We're entering the top 5 and there's still no sign. 4, 3, 2, time stands still just for a moment. A moment long enough to catch myself smiling proudly to take it in. We've done it. We're the UK's number one apprenticeship employer. One of the most exciting chapters of my career story was about to begin. When it comes to your career there really is no one formula for success and if someone had asked me 20 years ago what career I would be working in today I doubt I would have said employer branding. Career that didn't even exist at the time. Some of the best stories I've ever heard didn't follow a plan. They simply embraced the journey. And that's why I've created this podcast to share the many career stories that have shaped the people behind them, and to encourage future generations to trust more in the process instead of stressing over getting it right the first time. I'm Steve, and welcome to the My Career Story podcast. listening slight homage there to um, RuPaul's Drag Race which starts its UK series on BBC iPlayer this week um, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the my career story podcast featuring this week's guest Ollie Sidwell co-founder of Rate My Enterprise who just a few years ago launched the top employer ranking in the apprenticeship space which you've just heard me reflecting upon 2015 being the year that the reviews submitted by the apprentices that my team had recruited to join EY saw us sail to the number one spot. Now during my time at EY I was incredibly fortunate to work with some outstanding early career professionals creating campaigns which have been repeatedly recognised by the student recruitment community including the first one to use a YouTube influencer as part of its strategy but it's always this moment that I'm most proud of. Brand advocacy is such a huge part of the work that I do And to know in that moment that the apprentices that we'd recruited in the four years since joining the firm were not only sharing their experiences and inspiring others to follow in their footsteps, but sharing a positive experience made me feel really proud. Now, anyone working in the student recruitment market will know that rankings and awards are familiar territory and a great way to celebrate the fantastic innovative work that goes on across our industry. But the increased attention towards rankings such as Rate My Apprenticeship's Top 100 Employer Ranking are important especially when we consider the fact that 70% of people read reviews before making any career decisions, according to Glassdoor, and 84% of millennials are likely to be influenced by user-generated content created by strangers. Two of the headline stats that were shared at this year's Aramay Awards in July, reinforcing the idea that trust is increasingly becoming an issue to be addressed when creating talent acquisition strategies, Definitely something for us all to be more mindful about. And now back to today's guest. Right, okay. So I've got Ollie with me today. Hello, how are you? Hi, I'm very good. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad, thank you. Um, so we've been just been chatting about kind of our commonalities and everything, and the fact that we both uh, studied geography mm. at university and things. So maybe that's a good place to start with your career story.
1: Yeah, okay. So I guess where it all started for me, I'd say oh, I
0: was born in Yorkshire, Moved down to Tring when I was four, uh,
1: went to all the schools in Tring, loved, loved Tring, small little town in Hertfordshire, um, and at school, I think I was I was semi-academic, I'd say, and I really loved some subjects, but when I went into A-levels, there wasn't any route that I was massively keen on, so I tr- sort of, I think I spread my bets a little bit, so I loved business studies, found that really interesting, mm.
0: uh,
1: I love geography, obviously keen geographers, yep. um, and then I also like PE. So I love sports, play a lot of cricket when I was younger, love playing football. So for me, I was like, those are the three things that interest me. Let's just do those mm. A-level. So yeah, went into A-level doing those. Um, finished A-levels, got three Bs. Um, so I didn't get into my first choice at university, which is Leeds. But I did get into my second choice, which was Loughborough, which was obviously very beneficial because that's where my career really kicked off.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and then w- w- when I was applying to university, I was trying to work out what to do. And again, I really like sport. I like business and I like geography. So actually going to a sport university to do uh, geography and business management as a joint honours,
0: mm-hmm. for
1: me just further postponed that decision to go down a certain route that I didn't necessarily know or was 100% on. Mm. So it bought me a bit of time.
0: Yeah, I mean did did you get any pushback from those people around you when you were going for that passion first I suppose is one way of putting it because I know I had listened to you saying that now so I didn't know that you like business studies was mm. something that you had been keen on and I did that as a master's when I was yeah. at uni so we've done very similar subjects along the way as well my passion for sport came out later when I did my personal training piece and I think I've always been confident in a lot of ways that I'm happiest when I'm doing something that I love. Yeah. Because I kind of don't see the point in doing it otherwise. But a lot of young people that are making their career decisions are gonna be looking and thinking and being told which direction to go. Yeah, especially
1: today when you've almost got to make a decision earlier. I was lucky enough to make my decision, you know, after I graduated really. Mm -hmm. Um whereas I think now it's, it's very different. You've always been pushed into a route mm-hmm. you know, 16, which I think you're going to make some wrong decisions then, but at least you're making a decision.
0: Yeah, that's true. So yeah, I think yeah. it's probably
1: a benefit there.
0: Yeah. Did you get any suggestions from people when you were at school as to what you should do?
1: Um, apart from the classics, uh, I really liked animals, so everyone thought I was going to be uh, a, like a zoologist.
0: Okay.
1: Um, but my biology... Wasn't good enough. Uh, science. I was interested in science, but for me, I was, yeah, I don't know. I just really found whether well, it was more physical geography than human geography, but I also enjoyed human geography, obviously, which is more uh, people and looking around at different uh, locations and landscapes and uh, how it all pulls together. And I just found the business world really interesting and how it all, how it works. We had a really good teacher during. Mm-hmm. I'll name drop him, Steve uh, Steve McAvoy, uh, if he's listening. Um, and I did. That was the most thing that most interested me. And I found that where there was a, a passion and an interest, that allowed me to study more, which meant I was going to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the flip side, the stuff I wasn't interested in, I found it really difficult to concentrate. Uh, I had a dartboard in my room when I was younger. So i just end up playing darts if I was bored and then playing like quick couple of 501s and then getting back to work. And then, yeah, I just... <laughs> There's a reason why I didn't do that well at, at A-level for other subjects.
0: That sounds like my brother. He had his <laughs> dartboard in the garage that he'd often disappear off into for hours. And I'd try and play along and obviously not even hit the dartboard. So, but that's a completely different story. <laughs> <laughs> so so you're at Loughborough. What yes. What did you do during your time at Loughborough? Uh,
1: so at Loughborough, I did so geography and business management, mm. was what I mainly did. But first year, I was hopeless. It was so much fun, we were in a hall called Telford, which is right in the middle of the campus, and met loads of good people, and we played lots of different sports, uh, did a lot of drinking, messing around. Um, I had to retake two of my uh, first year modules, I wasn't <laughs> going to get through to year two, <laughs> then. so I think it was financial management as part of the the business side, and mm-hmm. there was another one which is more math based as well, I think I got like 37% in both <laughs> of them, which is, Let's be honest, pretty shoddy when you really should be getting over 40. But I think that was a bit of a turning point for me because it was a, a kick up the arse to say, you can't just waste your way through university if you want to do well here. So I went back early over the summer in first year to get them um, retaken, obviously passed them when I concentrated on it, almost got a first in one of them, which is ridiculous. And it just showed me actually, if I did put my mind to it, I could do a decent job, mm. Um so then in second year, we went back onto committee, so stayed in Halls. Um, I was elected as Stash Rep, so Merchandise Rep.
0: Yeah, I had to think about that. and then <laughs> I was just like, I know what that is. Yeah, yep. Any
1: a any comment, isn't it? It's Stash. Um, yeah, I think the opportunity to be back in Halls, do the whole freshest journey again, a bit more responsibility to look after. We'll, uh, mm-hmm. Everyone coming to first year, a load of my friends were also thinking about it as well. So we basically almost cherry-picked our best mates to go back into halls for a second year and, and do it again, um, which, having just said I didn't do well in my exams, may have seen a stupid idea, but that option came before the exam bit, so we just went with it. Um, second year was, was a lot better. We did a few more field trips of geography, um, but my I guess, career really kicked off when we started to think about what to do in our sandwich year. So that is a placement in between your second and third year, some of my best friends were doing a mandatory placement year course, mm-hmm. so they had to do one. Right. Um, their emphasis was very different to mine. I had more geography, joint honours. Uh, it was more optional for me. So I was looking, say, in the business school for opportunities. Now That is not particularly an obvious step to go from geography into the world of work. Unless you go no, no, unless you're you in teaching. teaching, like I did, yeah, yeah. the classic, <laughs> or environmental sciences. Like, there's, there's not that. It's not obvious. So there wasn't that many opportunities there. And Loughborough's is right in the middle of the country, so you'd think that's perfect. However, there's not a lot around it apart from potentially Sheffield and Nottingham. So there wasn't a lot of opportunities the business school was able to provide. So, I found it quite difficult to find a placement. Uh, eventually, found one at uh, Bosch in Uxbridge, the power tools mm-hmm. company. So, I worked, uh, uh, so I lived at home, worked there for a year, got 13 grand for the year. I had a great year with all the different people on my cohort, but the role I was doing wasn't really what I thought it was going to be. Um, I was doing a channel marketing assistant role, okay. which meant putting stickers on uh, bits of cardboard occasionally which, yeah.
0: It's a gay, yeah. <laughs> I, My face is probably saying it all. <laughs> yeah, um, it
1: wasn't the most, it wasn't the best job. But there were some bits that were great, some bits that weren't as good. Like I said, the cohort was great, the, the business was good fun, but I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do. So myself and two friends that had also done placements, we all came back and just had very similar experiences that it wasn't that obvious and easy to find placements. And once we had them, they weren't quite what we expected because we're a, Second year student looking at a proper job spec, and what does that really mean so, mm. to you? Um, so, we all came just had a, that sort of uh, thought. So, when we all got back to university in third year, we all got in the library and we were just thinking there's got to be something out there that can help people following our footsteps looking for placements and internships as part of their degree. And there were certain graduate job boards out there, you know, the likes of Milkround were big, Prospects, Target. But they didn't have anything relating to second years. It was more, they more took an internship webpage, maybe, Mm -hmm. rather than it being like an actual website. So we thought it's probably an opportunity here to to create our own uh, segment of the market that is just for undergraduates, just for second years, just for first years as well, looking for maybe insights and vacation schemes. So we just tried to um, create a website to help other students following in our footsteps. Initially at Loughborough as a CV builder, because it'd be great for getting a graduate job. As we graduated, having launched the website, pretty much during our finals, um, which helped me get a 2-2 rather than a 2-1, but progress.
0: <laughs> did, I mean, did, in the grand scheme of things, it's probably something that I'll come to with a question that I know I've got a few anyway, but with degree classifications and things anyway and the, the university experience, yeah, one of the, the reasons that I know I... Enjoyed university was that I found a skill set and got involved in stuff that wasn't related to my academics. Yeah, and in a similar way, like I think if I would pushed myself harder, I could have done better academically in terms of the results I got. But the richness of the experience I had kind of counterbalanced that in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah. What found it for me was that like the placement here so, so making it more vocational, making it more like practical. For me, there was only so much theory you could do without. I get the theory now, and having to write dissertations on the changing ice flows around Antarctica was obviously interesting to a point, but on page 48, you start getting a little bit dry of looking at isotopes.
0: Got as far as page 48, <laughs> wow. <laughs> <About> <laughs> Did that. better than me. <laughs> yeah.
1: So anyway, I actually finished bottom of my class at uni, got, so I got a two, 2-2, two. Um, and we launched the website at that's exactly the same time, so obviously we're pretty pushed for time trying to do both. Um, as we launched the website, we then found other unis saying, oh, it'd be great to have our students plug into this. And Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, please explain what the website does. Uh, The website is ratemyplacement.co.uk, which allows students to rate and review their experiences so then help others choosing which placements and internships to go on. So a bit like your TripAdvisor for placements. So having launched that, other unis started plugging into it. We then got employers ringing us up saying... Got some amazing testimonials of your of students on our programs. Can we put our branding and put an advert and a job ad alongside this? So, almost quite naively, we suddenly became a national job board with advertising that was now actually going to make money, which we genuinely wasn't the aim. Um, so, after winning the Loughborough University Business Plan competition uh, at a similar time to help give us that seed funding for the website we then started getting companies paying us very nominal amounts in first year to try and do it and make it work. So we then spent the next year and a half working in our graduate jobs, um, doing this evenings and weekends. So it was, it was tough because we were working in back bedrooms, often getting home from work at like seven and working until you know, 10, 11, 12. Um, that would happen a lot, we'd be working at weekends, and we were just sort of following this dream of a website that we believed in, but it couldn't support three of us financially. So it was very much a side project, side hustle. Um, but it was quite distracting for our graduate jobs. So this is, I guess, 2007. We got to sort of May 2008. So we've been doing it about a year Um Evenings and weekends, and then we entered a competition, the HSBC Unipreneurs competition. And Peter Jones was one of the judges. We won our southern region and the southeast region and got into the final. Mm -hmm. So it was really exciting. There was five of us in a big Piccadilly hotel. We got to start up for the evening. Um, And obviously meeting Peter Jones was uh, an amazing experience. He's massive. He's got a a huge presence. And, uh, yeah, he just said to us, look, guys, you've got a really, really good idea here. Um, You don't necessarily need to win the prize money for this because there's a 20 grand first prize. He just said, look, it needs your time. It needs you three. So if you really believe in this, go for it. Because at the moment, you're doing this evenings and weekends, so you're not giving it your all. So how do you know it could be successful? And also your grad jobs, you know, I feel for the people that are employing you there because your heart isn't in it and personally I was uh, at lunch times at my graduate job I'd be making calls I'd be making more calls during my lunch hour for my placement than I would be for my my job which for me made me realise I was probably doing the wrong thing Um, and I apologise to Quest Software for that Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, but thank you for helping us Um, so yeah speaking to Peter Jones just said look go for it really I think you've got a wonderful idea if you believe in it just mm. make it happen and we then left that evening went for some obviously some uh, beers in a few few pubs just have a real heart to heart to each other and we just thought oh, I can't swear on this can I swear on this yeah you can, can swear on. That explicit <laughs> <mark> on it <laughs> yeah we're beginning with F and we just thought okay, let's do it um, what's what, what we got to lose So two weeks later, we'd all quit our jobs and we were all then sat in our, like, we just went round each other's houses, sat in our back bedrooms for like 12 hours
0: a day and just made it happen. Hmm. How, I mean, that's all amazing because I'm listening to you now and it sounds like you've gone through very similar thought processes that I've been through in the last year, but you did it straight out of the gate from uni. Hmm. Um, How... How do you, I suppose, one of the things I think in the graduate space is there's a lot of graduates that come out of university now and they're struggling to find work. Yeah. If they want to go down that entrepreneurial route and follow in your footsteps right out of university, what kind of things do they need to prepare themselves for? Great question.
1: Um, because there was three of us, it was so much easier in that obviously workload was spread divided by three from the start but also we all had very different skills. So I was more sales and marketing, one of the other lads was more technical. You know, We could kind of split it up quite nicely. Um, and when you're starting a business from scratch, there's so many questions that you've just got no reference point to. And you're like, do you trust your instincts? What's that based on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm a university graduate, so okay, well, I'm very good, but does that mean anything? And, when we're trying to decide, should we do this strategy? Should what should we do here? How many of those books should we order? You know, like it was just weird decisions that
0: yeah. you'd normally. Up yeah. Now
1: I'm like, yeah, I know what to do. But at the time, it becomes a two-hour discussion to make sure you're doing the right thing. So, yeah, having three to make sure there's always a majority vote there made decisions quite uh, easier to come to. Um, what was the answer to question? Advice, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, of just kind of, if anybody's, if there's things that are holding people back and going, no, I couldn't do that myself.
1: Yeah. I think at the time, we didn't know too much about actually building a website. So we actually outsourced that initially, which is where the seed funding from our the university business planning competition, we got a grand and a half from that, that built our first website. Mm -hmm. So that meant a massive skill set we didn't have, we could just buy, which is obviously lucky because we won a competition. But I think today there's so many more open source platforms that you can plug into that I think you may have to pay a certain fee for a month, but actually whether it's something like a QuickBooks for accounting, there's stuff like that that actually sets you up far faster because we were just out of Google Docs. Everything was Google Docs, mm. <laughs> whether it's yeah. numbers, whether it's our marketing plans, you know, all the contacts we had. You, know, you look at the business now and we've got financial force, sales force. Um, all these different platforms that basically plug everything together and it's just so slick. But at the time, it was quite hard to find.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. So I know, (laughs) yeah, I know know that personally, just kind of like swimming through all that different stuff. But then if I think of when I was a child as well, my um, father and my uncle ran the family business and, my gran used to be on sitting in the office doing all of that manual bookkeeping and everything like um, yeah. yeah, that on bits of paper and everything was written down and stuff. So there's that transition, isn't there over that whole period of how everything is easier in a way. Yeah. There's, there's, there's things, things that you can automate. Easy. Yeah. And then there's, and then that almost frees you up to focus on other things. Yeah. And D- it can help you.
1: It makes the, the cogs slicker. If that's a term. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the concept of what you have—that's, I guess, up to you to decide. Which I think you're never going to know whether your idea or your concept is good, because you know, it's the whole idea of something new is that it's not out there yet. Mm. So when we first started, we were putting, we, we brought with you know, peer-to-peer reviews into recruitment. Now we've got so many uh, employers. Probably when you were at EY. Uh, saying what are you doing? You can't rate and review a job online. That is that is madness. Um, I'm not singing that like EY at all. No, um, no, 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 <laughs> no. no, no, so no, no. I, I know you don't. No,
0: I'm kind because of, I was probably the one of the ones within the team that were kind of going. This is great because that's because I because I was a plugged always plugged into that employer brand brand advocacy angle mm. that's with it that's so so important when you're looking for authenticity of yeah. stuff. And I know I know. when I came into the firm, the first thing I did was set up a brand ambassador program. So stuff like yeah. Rate My Apprenticeship, that you went on to launch, which just spoke to that perfectly. Yeah. But I can understand why people get nervous about it, because it's it's something that's out of their control,
1: Yeah, in a way. Oh yeah, it's just so tough. And I think everyone found that really hard to get their heads around. Um, so the first couple of years, we were just battling companies, just, can't, just... Challenging the concept of what we were trying to do, like say, rating reviewing alongside jobs, just mm-hmm. <laughs> chaos. Um, but now, like Glassdoor launched at the same time as we did on the other side of the pond, but obviously no one knew about it for the first five years. And you look at the space now, like you say, we've got Rate My Placement, Rate My Apprenticeship, you've got Glassdoor, pretty much everyone now looks at reviews, whether it's buying a product, choosing a job, you're always looking at what others, someone else has made of it first. Mm-hmm. And we are now so long in our everyday lives.
0: Yeah, they are. They totally are. Gosh, it's changed so much, hasn't it? Um, So how did you then go from being the three of you to grow into the size that you are today as an organisation? Because I've been into your offices. You're just down the road in Brixton anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's a new move for you guys as well. How long have you been in that office now? A couple of years. A couple of years. How's that transition from being a very tight, knit group of people that have got a, dire- a steer on the direction of things, so sort of expanding it up to all of those people that you then got to consider about how you manage them and everything like that, as well as where they take the business next.
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, well, I guess there's a bit of context. So r and now is about 48 of us uh, in the team. We spun off a second company called Crew, which is a data capture, event lead capture company. That's launched about six years ago and since has split off into a separate company as well, which in fact in April was acquired by a US firm as well. So that's kind of now gone away from us, but we that with it took a couple of the founders at the same time. So it's just me and Ali that run uh, RP. And like I say, there's 48 of us in the team and we've got about five different teams. So going from, I guess when we first launched it, there was just three of us sat around in our pants. Um, to then go into five different teams. Yeah, it it is a long journey of trying to work out who looks after what. And I think one of the first things we did when we got, uh, I guess, proper investment in 2010, we got about 150 grand worth of investment, the only real investment we've ever had. Um, That got on, I guess, a chairman who gave us some direction. um, Because again, we were just three graduates trying to work out what to do. So by bringing him on board, that was really helpful to bring some grey hair uh, into the business, and with that we hired Liz, so Lizzie Brock, who's been with us ever since, Yeah, um, coming up to her 10th birthday next year. Um, she's almost been another pillar of who we are and what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's been an absolute uh, hero with all that, and along the way we've, we've worked out which heroes can help us, because the two of us couldn't have done what we've done on our own, and making sure you get great people and keeping great people um, is the best way of making sure it's not just two people running it. Actually, we are now a team of six on the board, all very strong, all being there together for the last four or five years. There's a lot of knowledge Mm -hmm. in the business there that then just continually grows and improves. And then that gets filtered down to the heads of departments, of which there's then 12 to 13. And they've been really strong as well, certainly the last couple of years. So then almost you look up the network effect of the six at the top, then down to the next 12. So everyone below them in the sort of lower tiers, they're getting so much knowledge passed down from everyone. and such a strong uh, culture that yeah, anyone new into the business should know kind of what they're doing within a couple of months or have at least enough support and guidance from a manager. Or appear, or we do a lot of mentoring, we do a lot of reverse mm-hmm. mentoring. Yeah. You know, stuff like that is really helping mm-hmm. new people integrate and then once you find good people, it's then keeping them and seeing if you can grow them.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. The thing around reverse mentoring, I think it's pretty much something that every single guest so far has mentioned. Yeah. What do you think that it adds to um, career development?
1: Um, I guess for me it's two way really. So When we've done it, when I've done it personally, it's like our audience are young people. So whether you're 16 to 24, I'm not in that age bracket anymore. So as much as my knowledge of being in the market for 12 years is useful, it's based on my experiences at university, which was 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. So things have changed definitely. So it's a reality check for me to see what the real audience and um genuine graduates is talking about but also i think it gives huge confidence to younger people coming to the business to speak to a founder to say you know what just just talking and spending time with them because everyone's always naturally nervous because someone's higher up in the business mm. and i think people are becoming less nervous of that but yeah, i guess you have to sort of coach them into that because it's not a normal it's oh, always yeah. you respect your elders kind of
0: attitude, which yes, is yeah. <laughs> born into. Some... Yeah, that's a really, that's a really interesting <laughs> comment and it's bang on as well. So where did you get your support from?
1: Uh, really good question, Leslie. I'd say my dad has been one of my biggest supporters and mentors, I think, because I used to work at home. He was sat downstairs doing a lot of work from home as well. He's, uh, he's self-employed for a lot of the time I was um, setting up. So if I had any issues, I just literally ran downstairs knocks on his door was like, Dad, what do you think about this? What's the concept here? How does we approach this? Client mm-hmm. said that. What do they really mean? Um, this university doesn't want to work with us for this reason. How do we convince them to? Like, just any, any kind of question. And he just helped kind of power up back the answer to help coach me. So whereas back in the day, I'd run downstairs four or five times a day. I think now I'd probably call him maybe four or five times a year and still massively respect his opinion. And I think what I used to say, I think when I got married a couple of years ago, and in my uh, wedding speech, uh, I I massively thanked my dad, but I kind of said he's very much an 80-20 character, whereas 80% of what he'll say is spot on, really useful stuff. And the other 20% was just complete bollocks. (laughs)
0: But
1: it's really hard when I was younger to discern what is bollocks and what is really
0: useful. I was going to say, I know it. I know it. How do you deal with telling him what 20% is bollocks? He flags it himself. Oh, okay, sometimes. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. Okay. <laughs> so he knows he's targeting it as well.
1: Yeah, he just comes <laughs> up with sort of crazy, wacky idea sometimes. And that's where I probably get it from sometimes. But I think having gone through that journey of building a business with your dad, knowing all about it, and being able to, like I say, coach and mentor you through that, ask you all the right questions, and really challenge me on it. You know, we've got such a great relationship that, he can be really honest with me if I'm saying something bollocks, he'll, he'll flag it, and uh, yeah, it's really honest that you can have that kind of chat.
0: That's great, that's great. Um, so, what is it that you love most about your career, Ollie?
1: Good question. I'd say, what I love most about it. I think the freedom of being able to work for yourself is obviously very, very beneficial. Um, I do get a lot of jibes in the office for taking too much holiday, so. That's that's fine. I'll take it on the chin because I like holidays. That's kind of why you and you work. go
0: on some good holidays. I see the pictures. <laughs> yeah, they're great. You're definitely living that like geography student's like best life.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that that's a massive thing. I, I also like just the constant challenge. So I don't like standing still too much. I really enjoy working. I, I find it really interesting. I like exploring different challenges, whether it's. Finding a solution to a problem, whether it's trying to launch something new. I think the challenge of trying to build something that actually is going to take, you know, we launched Rate My Apprenticeship six years ago. It's in a busy apprenticeship market, but it's such an exciting challenge to try and you know, get there mm. and try how, how can we be the best? How can we be all our competitors? That's gonna be a constant challenge forever, really. Yeah. But the fact that I enjoy that competitiveness, which I think stems a lot from going to Loughbury, you get a lot of competitiveness via through sports and all that sort of stuff. So I just find the ongoing competitiveness and excitement uh, really powerful and like, empowering. Um, and also we've, we've set a really nice culture in the office where it is quite relaxed. It's very much ourselves and we want everyone to enjoy themselves coming to work. Mm. So actually, just even if you're having a bad day, just sat in the office there's people there to chat to, and they're all having a laugh
0: and enjoying themselves. Yeah, and I, w- I would say as well if there's a, if there's companies looking at like best practice out there of how to show what it's like to work somewhere, I personally really enjoy a lot of the content that you guys push out because it is really interesting and it looks like everybody's having fun and genuinely having fun. Because I've been here yeah. in your office and I've met a lot of the people that work for you as well, and it never feels forced. And I think sometimes when you've got a lot of um, the marketing that goes out, and personally that I've worked on in the past, or um, challenges that clients have come to me with, it's that you want to move away from that fakeness. Mm. And authenticity is something that kind of just like beams out of everything that you guys do. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: thank you. I think we encourage the team to express themselves, bring their personalities mm. to work, and if, if someone writes something. But content-wise, it's a bit boring. We'll just say, like, it's, it's not interesting. Yeah. make it more yeah. interesting. Uh, one of Lizzie's big terms at the moment is give it more sparkle. Like, how, whether it's an awards brand, whether it's a bit of content, whether it's a proposal you're doing to a client, whether it's mm. a campaign we're running, like, make it fun, make it different, make it interesting. Yeah. Because if, it, if it's got that, then it's going to grab the attention of our audience.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah. She's a little genius, that one, isn't she? <laughs> Um, so mindful of time and, and things, because I know you've got to run back to the office to go to another meeting. So you've given some really good nuggets there about advice that you give other people, but is there kind of one piece of advice that you find yourself always giving people about careers if they're in doubt?
1: So um, I, th- well, I think everyone's in doubt about their career. Everyone's constantly challenging, worrying. Am I doing the right thing? Is the grass greener? All that sort of stuff. I think one... Thing I'd recommend is just one thing I do that I quite like is we set up ten goals in a hundred days. So you write down ten goals, whatever they are. They can be personal, they mm-hmm. can be very work specific and tangible, or they can be a bit more loose. But hundred days goes out, goes round pretty quickly, and I, I quite like targets and things to work towards. So you write down these ten goals, and then over the course of the hundred days, you kind of see how you're getting on with it. Um, and for me, I, I find the whole thing pulls together. So whether it's I want to run a certain amount of miles or cycle a certain amount of miles, I can factor that into my day because I can cycle into work. And then you look at different projects you're running, they'll usually happen within that certain time period. Mm-hmm. If it's a longer project than that, like a sales target, you've got a tracker to get to on the way there. So my whole life is planned around these 10 goals, which I print out and I have my desk and I look at them every day. and. Yeah, they just power me. Mm. So I think stuff like that, making sure you can really be um, measuring yourself and motivating yourself.
0: So what's one of the goals that you're working towards at the moment?
1: Yes, we've got a cycling one. I want to make sure that I'm on track for my cycling challenge. We've also just launched a training provider table as part of the Rate My Apprenticeship Awards. Mm -hmm. So I've spent the last pretty much two months trying to build up all the reviews and try and get... As many training providers part of this table, and you were obviously there mm. when we yep. launched yeah. the first top 50 training providers. So I've been really proud of that one. It's, we've started that pretty much from scratch. Um, yeah. So yeah, we're very, very proud.
0: Yeah, it was, it was, it was actually really good being sat there, because I think um, I was sat with some of my old EY colleagues at the event, and I think the guys that got, um, who was it that came out as number one on that one? Remind me. The train providers a yeah. lifetime training. Lifetime, that was it. Because they were sat next to us. Oh, were they? Really? And as oh, the countdown excellent. was going down, they yeah. were like, literally, just like, oh my god, is it us? Is it us? <laughs> and then it went to three, and then it went to two, and they realised it was them. Yeah. And yeah, so it was. It was really good to see. I think that's an important part. Of the the recognition piece for the industry is that training piece because it helps to tackle almost in a way. And I remember when you first mentioned that you were going to introduce mm. that table, that um when you've got young people making choices I know when I was selecting my units you were looking at the quality of the training and teaching that was on offer and stuff and so I think it's a really important addition that you've put in there thank you great cool right well thanks a lot for your time thank you very much Um, it's good to see you and um, I'll add notes in for everybody um, to go through to the website and check it out for yourself and um, I'll speak to you soon cheers Steve thanks bye Thanks.